If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. I have a special treat for you. We have a guest named Coot Blackson, who is somebody that I met when he scheduled an appointment with me. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is an impressive guy, and it would be fun to have him on my show sometime because Coot, I don't know if you know, but I only have guests on about four times a year. Wow. I'm so honored. Because my show's a call-in show. And as a result, I normally only schedule guests when I'm pre-recording because I'm going to be out of town and I can't do a live show. So when you and I first met, when we had a private appointment, when you scheduled it, I thought, ah, this guy would be fun to have on this show. Nice. So everybody nice. meet Coot. Coot, welcome to Thanks the Ask Julie me. Ryan show. Thanks for having Delighted me. to have you. Coot is an interesting guy, everybody, because I kind of think of your story as uh, somewhat of a modern day Dalai Lama kind of a story. <laughs> Because I'm honored to hear that. That's, well, a, high, that's, a, that's a high state. Yeah, could everybody is a, he's a spiritual teacher and best-selling author. And, and a lot of the stuff that you teach and a lot of the stuff that I teach are the same thing. We just, we just use different verbiage. And I think we can all learn. I mean, certainly that's what religion is and what different spiritual philosophies are. It's like the golden rule and everybody's kind of talking about the same thing, perhaps just in a different way. But I'd love for you to share with everybody about how you grew up and what was going on. It's almost like when you were born, you were the the chosen one to follow in your dad's footsteps. So please share with everybody yeah, I was, a little I was, bit about that. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. We had to leave Ghana because of a bloody political coup. 
And so my father was the spiritual teacher and guide to the president at the time. So I ended up in London. That's where I grew up. And so for me, as a young boy, I was always a very uh, sensitive kid. And I would feel people's emotions and just around me, I'd feel people suffering. And I never quite understood uh, so many things didn't make sense to me as a child. I'd feel people so deeply. And there was a deep desire, deep sense of compassion to alleviate people's suffering as a boy, five, six, seven years old. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I just felt this overwhelming urge to to, to help people in some way. I, I'd see people who had every reason to be happy and fulfilled, yet were miserable. Um, they had the fame, the fortune, the money, et cetera, et cetera, but they were miserable. I saw people who had very few reasons to be happy. They didn't have a lot of money and, you know, just struggling and yet seemed fulfilled. And so life was confusing. So from a young age, I kind of started to ask myself the questions of like, what's the purpose of life and why are we here? Is it just to wake up and go to sleep and make money and make babies and go on a vacation and then die? Like surely there's got to be more to the purpose of life than that. And so that began a questioning process. And as a kid too, in terms of my upbringing, one of my first memories was literally seeing, I remember being around age seven in Ghana, West Africa, and I saw a crippled woman picking up the sand that this man walked on. She, she was lost in the crowd and I was lost in the crowd and she picks up the sand this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And I was observing this and people observed it and, you know, it was a miracle, so to speak. And so week after week, I grew up seeing the same man who Sanchi picked up, look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up. And, you know, look at a, per a man with crutches who hadn't walked in five years and say, throw your crutches away. And, you know, put his hands on a blind person who didn't have sight and say, you know, sight restored. And so this man was, was this your dad. This man was my father. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This man was my father. And so he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London, about five, 6,000 people every Sunday. And he was a very mystical, not so much an old school Orthodox Christian, but he was very mystical. He went to India, had some sort of enlightenment experiences in by the Himalayas uh, uh, that were really mystical and profound. So by the time I was born, he was very metaphysical, very spiritual. Um, I grew up with an entire like thousands of books on the shelf of, of people like, you know, Krishnamurti, Osho, uh, Joe Goldsmith, Joseph Murphy, Unity, Charles Fillmore, um, Madame Blavatsky, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very blessed to be born into this spiritual context. And so when I was age eight, my father threw me in front of his audience on a Sunday and said, my son's going to speak. And I had no idea. I was more interested in playing soccer in the lobby than anything spiritual. And when I started speaking for the first time, it was I don't know what happened, but it was like something opened up and let's just, I, I hate to use this word, but it was like I was channeling something was coming through me and words started coming out of my mouth and people were touched and I can't really remember what I said or didn't say, can't really claim credit for it, but something happened. And that was the beginning of, you could say, <clears throat> my my purpose, my dharma, my, my, my expression in this lifetime. And so week after week, I would you know, occasionally get thrown into the audience, totally unexpected, and give the speech, give the sermon. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister in my father's church. Once again, unbeknownst to me, my father had this habit of just not talking to me about things and just dropping bombs on me. And so one day he announces to the congregation, 
my son is taking over my ministry. My son is going to be the successor to my spiritual organization. There were probably three, 400,000 people in his organization in Ghana, West Africa at the time. And so it was a huge responsibility. And I remember when that was announced, <clears throat> I felt uh, a profound pressure, profound responsibility, but I also knew that something, something wasn't quite right for my soul's expression in this lifetime. And so the truth is I was... I was too afraid to speak my truth to my father because my fear at the moment was if I tell my father how I feel, if I tell my father the truth, if I dare to be myself, then I won't be loved. I'd be outcast. I'll be alone. I'll be abandoned. And so for four years, I went through the ordination. I went along with it. I tried to negotiate in my mind and justify with myself why I could follow this path that was set out for me. And this was but, from the age of 14 to 18. 14. 14 to 18, it was an internal struggle that How I was... How can you know what you want to do at 14, for heaven's sakes? I mean, I most know, people... I know, it, was, it, it yeah. was tough. I mean, I knew I wanted to help people. You know, there was, there was a feeling, a deep knowing that I was put on the planet to serve humanity and inspire people in some way. I had visions of reaching lots of people, and I could feel that, but I just knew it wasn't through the structure of a church or my father's path and the life that was set out for me. This I just felt in my gut. Mm -hmm. And so it, it took me four years of internal struggle and fear and stress and questioning and crying and depression to finally get to the point at 18 where I looked into my future. And I felt a deep calling to, to come to America because all of the authors, I started reading a lot of self-help books at the time. And so, you know, all of the authors that were in America, people like uh, Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra, they happened to live in the U.S. and live in Southern California. And so I wanted to come and meet them and go into that field. And so I felt such a soul guidance to come to the U.S. And so I made that decision, even though I had no pathway to do that. And, and, and so I looked into my future and I felt this this call to the unknown. And yet my path was pretty much set for me by my father, by the community, by society. And I looked into this expected path and I saw that I could be successful by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't really have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my own true soul's integrity, then it just felt like a, a death. And I felt such a profound pain and sadness. And I saw that and you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not. You can't be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life or someone else's version for your life. And when I was 18, I made a very difficult decision that I think really was the beginning of my life and shifted the course of my destiny to speak to my father. Uh, I'll never, never forget the day when I finally spoke to my father. I made peace with the fact he would never speak to me again and uh, told him I'm not taking over his churches. And... It was a tough moment in my life. Were you the only child? I was the only child. And mm -hmm. so there was a lot of pressure for me to take over. And mm -hmm. it was an initiation. It felt like a soul initiation point for me. And when I had that conversation, my father and I, we didn't speak for two years. Uh, very difficult, very challenging, a lot of grief. But I knew deep in my soul that I was on the right path. I could feel that I was on the right path. And I saw that sometimes your soul guides you in a certain direction that doesn't make sense to your conscious mind. Your soul doesn't really care about convenience necessarily. I think it cares more about our evolution. 
And so I said yes to this totally unknown path. And I think that when we truly follow our authentic soul's guidance, that's when the universe rises to support us. And kind of long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the lottery, the green card lottery, to come to the U.S., and that's when I knew that there was an intelligence, that there was some, some life force that was guiding my life. And that really gave me a lot of trust and a lot, lot of faith that I was on the right path and won a green card, left everything behind, came to the U.S. with two suitcases, maybe $1,000 to my name, knew no one in the U.S., green card in hand. And that really, let's say, began my journey. And it was a very... Uh, adventurous journey from that moment in my life. Yeah. How about your mom? What'd your mom have to say about all of this you wild know, plan? And wow. did you stay in touch with her even though you weren't in touch with your dad? Yeah. My mother is truly a very special being. She, when I first, I was about mm, 16, 17, when I finally confessed to my mother that I was not going to be taking over my father's churches. And I was in tears because I was afraid of the consequences of what that would mean with my father. And my mother was amazing. She simply said to me, are you sure? I said, yeah. She said, look, I just want you to be happy. And if that's what you're guided to do, I support you fully. And she was the only one that truly supported and loved me completely and fully, even to the point where, you know, as her only son, I was her life, so to speak. And, right. you know, truly, I was her life. I mean, she. Well, hold that thought because we're up against a break. So let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear more about how your mom supported you. And I want to explore with you, how did you know yeah. this was not your calling and you were being led? How yeah. did you know that that's what was happening? Because I think most of us feel that, but we don't, we're not aware of it. We discount sure. it. So sure. stay with us, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out some more about Coop. Welcome back, everybody. We're with Coot Blackson, and we were talking about before the break that your mom supported you. So I want to hear yeah. more about that. You were saying that you went to her before you went to your dad, that yeah. you wanted to not follow in his footsteps in what he had created and really create your own. Yeah. My mother shows me un unconditional love. And I can say that if there's one gift I've had in this lifetime to experience it's, it's unconditional love for my mother. And yeah, she just said, I'll support you no matter what. You have my blessing and you have my support. And I remember when I won my green card, uh, she, here's a woman that I was pretty much attached to the hip with growing up as a child. And she just, just blessed me and let me, she didn't come to the airport. She said, I don't want to cry, but she blessed me, released me with no guilt, no attachment, let me go which was really amazing. And so I'm really, you know, I'm really blessed by the foundation of unconditional love that she provided, because I think that gave me the foundation to, 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 to know I was so loved in my psyche that it gave me the foundation to fly. And, you know, what I would say also is, you know, how do we know? Um, I think one of the things as human beings that keeps us stuck are all the ways that we lie to ourselves 
all the ways that we don't tell the truth to ourselves, that we BS ourselves, that we rationalize, that we, we just lie to ourselves about what we feel, about the truth, about what we want, about who we are. Maybe we stay stuck in relationships that we know it's, it's not right. It's not aligned. It's not the one. It's served its time. But sometimes we stay in these relationships because it's comfortable, because it's familiar, because we feel guilty, because we don't think we'll find love again. So many times we settle for mediocrity or we settle for something that's not truly aligned with our soul. And we stay stuck or we stay in a job that is not the full expression of our true soul's purpose. And we settle and we, we settle for out of fear or survival. I think there's a part of us at the depth of our being that does know. We feel it. We sense it. There's a feeling that, that something isn't truly aligned. And so a couple of questions I would invite people to sit with in the exploration is really just explore. What lies are you telling yourself? Just sit with that. What lies am I telling myself? The second question I invite people to sit with is, what are you pretending to not know? Because many times we do know that something's off. I think sometimes that the, the knowing isn't always a loud siren bell. I think sometimes that knowing can be a very subtle, gentle whisper or sensation that something's off here. Something's not quite right here. And it can be a very subtle feeling, a very subtle sense that something's not quite right internally. It can be a very subtle sense or feeling uh, in the physiology, in the body, like maybe the body gives you a certain sensation, like something's not quite, something doesn't quite feel right. But many times I think we, we discount it, we deny it, we suppress it, we ignore it, we negotiate ourselves out of it, we, we justify it because we're afraid of the consequences or we, we don't want to be judgmental or we're afraid of letting go. So I would or say we're taught that that's the way it is. And yeah. that's the way you're supposed to live your life. I, yes. I call those limiting beliefs mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. they come in from other people, from our teachers and our parents and yeah. our, our uh, mentors, if you will, and our business colleagues and bosses. And we think, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yes. And so I agree with you. We're rationalizing that. You know, one of the other ways that we might know that something's off or some or there's some truth that we're not really acknowledging is we will probably feel some kind or some layer of pain in ourselves. It might be emotional pain of like something really just doesn't feel right in my body and we feel distressed inside of ourselves, maybe we'll feel, maybe the feeling of offness, something we're denying consciously, it, we might, it might end up manifesting in a physical situation. Like it, it, that energy of, of what we're suppressing might manifest in, in a dis-ease, in a physical expression, like a cold, a part of our body shutting down, a physical ailment, a pain, back ache, shoulder ache, something manifesting in the physiology can be a sign that we're not paying attention to something that, that that's a deeper truth that we need to be acknowledging. Sometimes when something's off and we're not acknowledging it consciously, it might manifest as the energy I've seen, let's say the energy not quite flowing in our life and our life kind of getting a little stuck and not quite uh, moving in a flow because the energy that we're, of what we're not acknowledging, because we're not acknowledging it, it kind of blocks the, the natural flow of life. Sometimes I think also it might manifest in the people 
we attract uh, that play out the emotional feelings uh, of, let's say, anger or frustration of what we're not acknowledging, but we start attracting people into our life that reflect to us the deeper frustration of what we're not acknowledging. And we wonder, why do I keep attracting these people that are pissed off, that are angry, that are mad, that are sad, that are, you know, depressed? Because maybe they're showing us something we need to acknowledge as well. And so, so even if we don't think that something's off or we're not aware, it can show up in different ways that we can start pay att- paying attention to. So what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And I would invite people to sit with maybe a third question of feeling, what is it? what is not acknowledging the deeper truth? What is it costing me? And to take some time to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge the cost and feel that and move through it. Well, I think a lot of people too believe that life is hard. <clears throat> Life yeah. is a slog and they're brought up in, in families and or cultures where it is hard. The parents are working perhaps more than one job, money's tight, there, there's illness or there's dysfunction or there's addiction or, or abuse or something like that. And they just have the mm-hmm. mindset that life is just tough. And I believe to your point about it's about the flow. When you are feeling neutral or good, you're in alignment with your spirit. When you feel badly, whether that's boredom mm-hmm. or anger or, or jealousy or grief or whatever, you're out of alignment with your spirit. And, and it's an internal GPS that's saying to us, hey, look at this from a different perspective because you're out of alignment. Mm-hmm. So with that, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, everybody, I want to talk to you, Kuda, about how do people ask those questions and what's something that they can do on their own to help them figure out okay, what is my purpose? How, how am I, how am I going to get myself back on track so that I can really do what I'm being led to do? And how does somebody know that they're being led to do something? So everybody stay with us. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back everybody to the Ask Julie Ryan show. We're talking with Coot Blackson today, and he is a a teacher and a mentor and an author and a kind of like a renaissance man. And back to the Dalai Lama thing that I was talking about earlier is it's almost like the stories I've heard about the Dalai Lamas is that they're chosen when they're very young to assume these roles. And out of everybody that I know in my long life, you are the first person that I've met who actually I can say there's a connection there where it's like you were the chosen one and you were chosen to do this and you're doing the work just in a different way. You're serving humanity, but it's in a different way than what your dad had envisioned for you to follow in his footsteps through his church. And you had talked also about your mom being very loving in an unconditional way. And it sounds to me like you didn't necessarily get that from your dad. Mm. You had love from your dad, but you felt like you needed to, to please him and, and rise up to his standards and all of that. And so I look at that. I believe we all choose where we're born, when we're born to whom we're born. So our lives can have a basic trajectory. 
that will let us explore and experience whatever it is our spirit wants to. I find it interesting that you had that much of a contrast Mm -hmm. and you created out of that contrast. Mm -hmm. So speak a little bit about that. And then let's get into how does somebody utilize these principles in their everyday lives to help them get on the path of what their spirit wants to explore and experience. Yeah. I mean, I I really feel, you know, from this perspective today, you know, as a kid, there were certain things I wanted from my father that I didn't get. And I was pissed off and mad and frustrated and angry for many years until I really came to a place of forgiveness of, 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 of who he was and what wasn't and what I wanted. And, but looking back now, I see that my father was the perfect soul, the perfect person to facilitate the necessary lessons for my soul's evolution. I mean, I feel, I think you feel the same way. I, I feel as though we are souls, we incarnate into this human experience to grow, to learn, to evolve, to realize more of who we truly are, our true divinity, and to express, uh, to really express our authenticity in this human form, in this finite form. And so to me, life is simply the classroom for our soul's evolution. And every experience, every situation, every person, every you know family member is part of the teacher, the guru, the professor, the part of our teachers in the Uh, university of life. And so when I see my father, uh, I see now that he was perfect. I mean, I would get so mad when he would just throw me on the stage and I get so mad when he would do some things. And now I really see for my soul's trajectory, like when I'm on the stage now, sometimes I get thrown onto a stage spontaneously and it's just so natural. It's so effortless. It's so easy. I go back and I thank my father for being exactly who he was because he, my soul made the perfect choice in many ways. And so I think that, you know, everything we've been through, everything we've gone through, our pain, our hurt, our trauma, our abuse, our challenges, our successes, our failures, everything we've been through as difficult, as unique, as interesting as they were, have perfectly been preparing us, marinating us, cooking us so that we could develop into and perhaps learn the lessons from those moments, transcend any sense of victimhood, learn the lessons so that we can, let's say, become the the people, become the vehicles, become the, the persons who really are capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision that we have, the purpose that we have in this lifetime. And so when I look at someone like Mandela, who had to be put into prison for 27 years, I mean, that's crazy. But what if he wasn't put into prison 27 years? Perhaps it was that unique configuration, that curriculum, that situation that was the perfect developmental you know, chamber for him to develop the mental, the emotional, spiritual vision, compassion, insight, empathy, forgiveness, so that he could do his work. And so uh, sometimes when we go through it, we're not able to see the perfection in it. But I think when we look back, if we're able to go, wow, wow, what can I, what can I learn from that moment? What, what was my soul seeking to learn through that experience? And so for me, through my father, I learned a tremendous amount of, you know, leadership. I learned so much about communication. I learned, you know, about spirituality from watching him. I learned about compassion. I learned many things in terms of what not to do. And yet from my mother, I learned the humanity. And so it was really the bridging of them both. And I think even incarnating to an African father and a Japanese mother, 
I really feel that part of my sole choice in that moment was, and in this lifetime has been to, in terms of my purpose, is to bridge uh, cultures, bridge people together beyond skin color, beyond religion, beyond form, beyond countries, beyond separations, and to, on a sort of soul Dharma level, to uh, energetically embody and remind people of who we really are beyond separation, beyond division, at, to remind people of the essential oneness of our of our being, you know. So for me, that's what it feels part of my soul choice in that was. And so in terms of purpose, uh, there's a couple of things I'll say, uh, a few practical things, but also kind of uh, uh, more expansive uh, perspective also. To me, I really feel as though there's so much talk in our world today, in even in self-help today, about find your purpose. You have to know what your purpose is. You have to know what your purpose is. You've got to find your purpose. I would actually invite people to take all the pressure off of trying to seek your purpose, because in many ways, trying to seek your purpose can actually take you further away from just living your purpose. I would just invite people to realize that as a soul, you've incarnated in this human experience. And just the fact that you're alive, just the fact that you're here, your purpose is this moment. Your purpose is living fully this evolutionary gift in the school that is life. And I think at the spiritual level, so long as you are growing, evolving and learning the lessons, you are living your purpose. And, and so from that perspective, I feel as though so long as we're truly evolving and learning through every situation, we can live our true soul's purpose any moment. Now, the expression of that in terms of what do we do, how do we express our love and our gifts on this planet I would invite people to stop seeking your purpose because I think sometimes seeking your purpose can be, can be, not all the time, can be sneaky ego's way of postponing actually just living your purpose. Because I think the ego wants to seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and not really find. And so I think I would just invite people if they're in that question of what's my purpose, what am I here to do? Number one, start by moving, going in the direction of where the energy is in your soul. Move in the direction of what lights you up. Don't simply focus on, well, how can I make money and be famous? Just go in the direction of what turns you on, what lights you up. Take a step in the direction of what makes you come alive. If you go in that direction of your soul's aliveness, your soul's joy, your soul's brightness, your soul's, you know, where it vibrates high, move in that direction. So I actually believe you don't have to know what your purpose is in order to truly find it. If you move in that direction and you take a step in that direction, you lean in, you take a step, even though you don't, you're not clear, but you're going in a direction. Then I think once you take that step, life reveals the next step in the process of living. And then you take another step. You still don't know. Life reveals another step. And then life. So I think purpose is something that can be revealed in the process of living itself. Many times we try to figure out our purpose from this perspective, from our level of consciousness. So what we think is our purpose is, is not necessarily our purpose. And I think purpose and the way it expresses through us is evolutionary. And as our consciousness, as spiritual evolution expands, the expression of our purpose will also keep evolving and changing. So to try and sit back and figure out our perfect purpose, I think is a mistake. Go in a direction, find a way, to begin by being of service right here, right now, where you are, as you are. I see many people saying, I want to be a revolutionary and I want to be of service and I want to make this huge difference, but they're waiting for some special moment. I would say start where you are. Don't wait by responding to the need in the moment that life presents to you 
with exactly what's in front of you, the people that are in front of you, your family, your friends. And sometimes it's so small, but many times we judge the small ways that we can be of service and make a difference. And so we don't live our purpose now, wanting to live our purpose in some future fantastical way. But I think when we take a step and go in a direction, and when we start being of service right now, we begin to develop the mental, emotional, physical, soul muscle. So we become more prepared. We learn the lesson. We develop more. We become more prepared. And then we, 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 we earn the energetic right to live a bigger expression because we, we've learned the lessons along the way. And so it's like lifting the weights. If we can't lift five pounds, how do we lift 50 pounds? And if we can't lift 50 pounds, how do we lift 200 pounds? Many of us, we want to lift 200 pounds, but we haven't lift 10 pounds. And so start where you are. And so... What do I love? What turns me on? What brings me aliveness? I would also invite people to ask themselves the question, in terms of a practical sense, what tangible skills do I have based on my past experience? And this is where I say every single thing you've been through, every single thing you've learned has been perfect preparation of the cosmic chef cooking you to prepare you to serve you to the world. There might be... There might be some jobs that you don't want to do or haven't wanted to do because you think, ah, that's not my purpose. But maybe you need, it, you need to do that thing. Maybe you need to go in that direction rather than sitting on the sidelines and waiting because maybe learning what you need to learn from accounting or learning what you need to learn you know, as an assistant or learning what you need to learn in that position is part of the puzzle piece of what you're going to need for the fulfillment of the bigger purpose. And so... Even if you're doing something right now that you don't feel is your ultimate purpose, that doesn't mean you can't live your purpose doing what you're doing. Your purpose is not necessarily something that you do. It's an expression of what you are. So even if what you're doing isn't the fullest expression, I believe you can bring intention and attention to whatever it is you're doing to love through that form, to love through that situation, to love through that job and find the purpose as you sweep the streets, find the purpose as you're someone's assistant, find the purpose as you are, you know, uh, washing the windows or selling real estate, find the purpose, live your purpose through that, which then opens you up to a bigger platform. And so what specific skills? Right. And I think along those lines, obviously, when your dad had you speaking in front of those thousands of people, my goodness, you do that now in your career around the world. I know you do that. I'm a medical intuitive and psychic. As you know, I'm a buffet of psychicness, so I do it all. But I'm an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world and spent 30 years in and out of surgeries and operating rooms. And I know enough to help that helps me in my medical intuition that I do now. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go into more about people's purposes and, and that kind of thing. Let's continue the discussion. So everybody stay with us. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan show, and we'll be right back after the break. Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. 
They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. Welcome back everybody to the Ask Julie Ryan show. You're you're listening to me have a chat with Coot Blackson, who's a a world-renowned author and teacher and and I guess all around spiritual guy. I think you do a great job of combining the spiritual into the practical to help people really enhance their lives in a multitude of ways. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about our soul's purpose. And what I find in past lives, and I do a lot of past life work with people. I don't hypnotize anybody. I do what I call past life scans. Mm. And what I'll see is that people will repeat somewhat of a script through multiple lifetimes, different Mm. timeline, different location, different set of circumstances, oftentimes different gender. And they're looking at it from a different perspective. And I use the analogy a lot of Hamlet you know, how many times has Hamlet been performed since I think Shakespeare's been dead, what, 600 years or something? Well, same script, different interpretation, different time, different language, different cast of actors and producers and directors and all that kind of stuff. And and I see that repeat a lot in people's lives. And so I think your take on purpose is exactly what mine is. I find that when we try and think too far in advance, we go into brain freeze. And I think that things that have happened, I believe, and I've and I've gotten validation from this over the years from spirit and from people with whom I've worked, where things that have happened in the past are set, things that are happening right now are set, things that are happening in the future are fluid. And so somebody will say to me, okay, well, I had a gal yesterday. How when when am I gonna have my next baby. I mean, she wanted like, how long is it going to take? It's going to take six months or whatever. I said, it's fluid. There are a bazillion variables that come in to affect an outcome. And I think when we're developing our purpose, how do we, how do we get over that of trying to control? And when we control, it's coming from fear, it's coming from a place of fear. How do we, how do you teach people to overcome that so that they can get into the flow and let their lives unfold. Well, now we're moving into, you know, the realm of surrender, you know, to me, right. that's, that's the key is, is we have to surrender. And, and so, you know, and just, just, just to clarify, then we'll, we'll focus it back in on purpose. But I think surrender is when we let go of control. <laughs> surrender is when we let go of trying to control every single thing in our life, uh, trying to manipulate the outcomes, trying to force things to be, that necessarily aren't, you know, surrender is when we let go of who we think we should be, what we think our purpose should be, how we think we should be, the job we think we should be doing, uh, the life we think we should be living that we're projecting onto life rather than truly feeling the organic, uh, authentic expression of what our soul is seeking to be expressing through us and in many ways i think people think that 
you know, well, if I surrender, I, I won't, I won't get what I want. Or if I surrender, I won't, I won't live my purpose. Or if I surrender, I won't have that thing. And, and, and I'm actually saying, well, if you surrender, you might actually get more than you think. And so many times what we're projecting we want and what we're projecting our purpose is or should be is not necessarily what it authentically is. We're sometimes deciding what a goal or what a thing should be from the lens of our ego, which is simply conditioned from our past experiences, memories. You mentioned our past lives, our generational genealogy, you know, patterns from generations. And so many times what we think our goal is, is just a projection from our past and, and how we're viewing our purpose and a situation is limited through the lens of our own ego, which doesn't see the entire picture, the entire tapestry, the entire unfolding of our true authentic soul's expression. It's like we're only seeing a small piece of the painting. And so I think that's where if we're able to surrender, just truly surrender, the attachment to it's got to be this, attachment to it's got to look like this. And I think when we can move in a direction of what feels alive, what feels authentic, being of service, what lights us up the most, and go in the direction, truly surrender to the deepest impulse of our of what feels true, the deepest impulse of our soul, the most authentic feeling of this is where my soul is guiding me. You know, for me, it was come to America. I could have denied it, but that's what felt true. And I think when we move in that direction, and we allow that direction, we surrender to that, uh, then I really feel we'll be guided. And that's when I feel we tap into another dimension of power, another dimension of purpose, another dimension of magic. And sometimes what our purpose and our expression ends up being may not always match the mental image of what we've made up in our mind. Sometimes when our purpose ends up expressing as won't be anything like what we projected in our mind. So rather than trying to fit our purpose and our life into a preset box, I think if we go in a direction of what feels true without being attached to, but it's got to be this way, you know, it's got to fit this box. We go in the direction of, of what's true and then allow life to reveal to us, allow life to show us, allow, allow life through the interaction of events and life to, 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 to lead us in what our purpose uh, and the expression and the fulfillment of our purpose looks like, which might be a surprise. And I think if we're on the, in the flow and on the path, we'll be more fulfilling and maybe even more than we could plan and configure with our mind. And so I think surrender, uh, surrender is the key in that sense. I mean, if you look at Mandela, you look at Gandhi, you look at uh, Mother Teresa, I'm sure they couldn't have figured that out, sat down at age 18 and said, yeah, I'm, Obama, I'm going to be president of the United States. Oprah, uh, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, the richest, you know, African-American woman in America and the media mogul. But she did go, she did participate. That's what we have to show up and participate with life. It's not about sitting down and go, well, let it happen to me. She participated by moving in the direction of her passion, which was communication. That's what led her to becoming a newscaster. And as she read the news and she was good at it, she was probably too compassionate, started crying reading the news, then they fired her. But she participated with life by going in the direction. And through that interaction, 
her emotion met life and they fired her, which then they put her on a uh, small uh, talk show in a one market. She was so good at that because now she could finally just be herself. And life, sh- life revealed itself to her and through her in the process of her living life itself. And so I think there's so many things in terms of the fulfillment of our purpose that we cannot plan, that we cannot script out, that we cannot figure out we can only live into. So the other question I'd invite people to sit with in terms of just feeling into the direction of is, is what group of people, this is another thing to think about, what group of people do I feel an affinity to? What group of people do I connect with, feel an affinity to? Because that might show you the direct, at least the direction of who you might be put on this planet to serve. Maybe you feel just a strange connection with <clears throat> the elderly, or you feel a strange connection with teenage mothers, or you feel a strange connection with the blind people, you feel a strange connection, and that might show you who you're karmically contracted to serve in this lifetime. I love the Oprah example. I think that is just an extraordinary example of somebody being led to the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. So we're going to take a quick break again. Everybody, you're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. When we come back, I want to talk to you, Coot, about I love how you say that we need to honor those that have caused us pain. So I want to go down that route with you. Everybody stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. We're talking with Coot Blackson. And before the break, Coot, I had asked you about, I've heard you say that we need to honor those who have caused us pain, which seems a bit twisted, I would think, to most people. So talk to us about what do you mean by that? How does that benefit us? How does that enhance Um, our lives? I think it's honoring their souls, you know, honoring their souls because their souls are serving a purpose and a function to invite, to challenge, and force us to grow and evolve and teach us and make us learn the lessons for us to become more of who we really are. And if we really understand that life is a university, life is a school, then they're our teachers in some way. And so honoring their souls because by them being who they are, that's forcing us to feel things, that's forcing us to learn things, that's forcing us to tap into parts of ourselves and become more than we were before, you know? And so one of the things I say is, I wrote this poem one time to an ex of mine many years ago, and that went something like, thank you for breaking my heart, because it was through breaking my heart that I found my truth. It was through breaking my heart that I found my worth. It was through breaking my heart I found my true internal strength, you know? And so I think many times people that challenge us the most cause us to tap into parts of ourselves and learn the lessons that we need to learn in this lifetime. And so I think they provide us a gift if we're willing to get off of the level of the story and focus on the evolutionary gift and ask ourselves, okay, because I think in relationships, relationships, not just romantically, relationships, in many ways we attract to us sometimes someone that is 
we're comically, you know, aligned with, connected to in some way where there's a lesson there. We attract to us people that are vibrational match in some way. We attract to us people that can be a mirror manifestation of an aspect of ourself that we most need to heal, shift, acknowledge, make peace with. And so many times, even the people that challenge us the most in some ways can sometimes show us aspects of ourself, a reflection of an aspect of ourself that we don't want to see, an aspect of ourselves that we need to integrate, an aspect of ourselves that we need to forgive, an aspect of ourselves that we need to make peace with. And so I think there's a tremendous gift to, rather than focusing on the person that's challenging us to really look at what are they reflecting to me about myself? What are they showing me about myself? What do they show me I need to heal about myself? And really take the focus off of them and shift inside because I think if relationship is a mirror, then they're showing us something about ourselves that we get to shift. And since we can't control what's out there, uh, that's only leads to more suffering, but we can't control what's in here. Uh, they ser serve as a mirror that helps us evolve, which that to me is the gift. That's the gift. I had a client this morning. I do private clients all day long. And I had a man who was in his late seventies and we were talking telepathically to his deceased mother who'd been gone for, I don't know, close to 30 years or something. Wow. And he said, mom, I apologize for not writing the report. And I said, what report was that? And he said, when I was in college, my mom asked me to write a report on a book for her. And he said, I've just felt guilty over that ever since she died. And really, since I was in college, he said, for the last 50 years, I felt guilt over this. So my point in telling that story is how do people get unstuck? I mean, 50 years, this guy's been feeling guilt and feeling like he disappointed his mom. Do you have a method or a technique that can help people release that and get unstuck? unstuck quickly and easily so that they're not in that continual hamster wheel of the same tape playing over and yeah, over and over and over again. I, I think we first have to be willing to, to acknowledge the feeling of stuckness. You know, I think many times we deny it many times we don't, we, we suppress it. Many times we, you know, avoid it. Many times we distract ourselves from it. We drink it away. We sex it away. We social media it away. We, travel it away, we shop it away. And so I think to have the courage to just acknowledge what we're feeling and just be with what we're feeling is, I think, part of the work. And to what I would invite people to is if you're able just to acknowledge what you're feeling and take the label off of the feeling and just acknowledge the feeling as a sensation in your body without a label of sadness, of madness, just experience. See, many times we don't want to feel the feeling because we're afraid. If I feel this, for instance, let's say grief, right? If I feel this grief, uh, it will last forever. If I feel this grief, um, it will overwhelm me. It will shatter me. If I feel, if I feel this grief, then it's going to be too heavy. And if I, and so I think sometimes there's also a mistake too, that we make even in the spiritual field where we do a spiritual bypass. Like we want to stay, I've heard people say, I want to stay in a high vibration. I want to stay cool. I want to stay law of attraction in the high vibration. So what we end up doing is we suppress the grief or the negative feeling as a way to not feel that because we want to stay in a high vibration. But the challenge is all feelings remain present until felt. And so in an effort to stay in a high vibe by not feeling or acknowledging the 
the heaviness, the sadness, or the grieving, we suppress that. That energetically stays in our nervous system, in our body, in our feel. And so even when we move forward, there's a part of us that not only is not fully open to the new, we're carrying that old energy with us. And so I think we have to be willing to just feel. Well, along those lines, I'm laughing to myself, you know, thinking I always tell people, Coot, when you're feeling fabulous all the time, 100% of the time, you're dead. You're dead. (laughs) Right, right. We create out of the contrast. That's why we're here to have the human experience and to explore. And we need to have that contrast in order to know what we don't want to help us know what we do want and create it. So I'm on the same same page with you on that. I love that. So is when you say to people, and I know it sounds good. Okay. You just have to acknowledge the feeling. Some people can't even get there. They're so numb by their lives. So, 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 so I, I, look, I really don't think there's some super duper quick fix technique. If it was that easy, the whole world would really be enlightened. But I think we have to be willing to acknowledge the numbness. Sometimes we don't even acknowledge the numbness because we think oh, this is just how it is, or this is normal, or this is okay. But I think even just getting in touch by acknowledging the numbness is an acknowledgement of something. And being with the numbness without trying to force yourself to feel more is a beginning to get into relationship with the feeling of the numbness. What I found is if you're able to just be with the numbness, even the sensation of the numbness, because to know that there's numbness, you have to be in touch with the sensation of the numbness to know that there's numbness. Because how would you know there's numbness without like, oh, numbness, not numbness. So numbness has its own feeling. And so what we tend to do is we judge the numbness. I'm saying just being with the numbness without trying to fix it, without trying to change it, without trying to get rid of it, without making it wrong, getting into relationship with it first and foremost in total acceptance, total presence with it, and being with that numbness, what you'll tend to find, what I found over time, as you're with it, the numbness also begins to unwind. The numbness also begins to unravel naturally when we're not trying to get rid of it. Because when we're trying to get rid of that feeling of numbness, we're still resisting it. When we're trying to do something with it, we're still resisting it. But when we're with it fully, that's when, you know, I think all feelings that we're truly consciously present to and feel begin to unravel and dissolve. Many times we think we're feeling feelings, but we're thinking about the feeling not necessarily feeling the feeling. We're judging it, we're pushing away, we're thinking about the sadness or the numbness, not just being present with it. So I think when we can be present with the numbness, usually underneath the numbness is something else. And so when we're present with the numbness, truly present with it for a moment, without any agenda, without any timeline, without like, I should be feeling something, with, with a little time, I think, you'll start to tune into what is underneath the numbness because the numbness is usually a protection mechanism or cover-up to survive. And underneath the numbness is something else. And then we'll, you'll, you'll, you'll start getting in tune with what's underneath the numbness. And I think when that's why I say when you can just be with the sensation of the feeling without label, just in your body, not in your mind, just in your body whether it's grief, but just being with the sensation of the grieving in your body and fully just experience it 
without changing it, without judging it, without pushing it, without manipulating it, but just being with it, you will start and noticing what happens. You will start noticing that there's a movement with the sensation. There's a movement with the feeling that naturally starts happening. And as you're really present with the feeling and sensation, naturally usually begins to move and dissolve and unravel and clear as we as we meet it and hold the sensation with just presence that's what i found when you were talking about we're afraid to feel the feeling what came to <laughs> mind was when i was in my probably oh, early 20s i think in the 80s there was a movie called terms of endearment and it had Shirley MacLaine in it, who I love. And I was on a date. And I remember holding my breath in the middle of that movie because I was afraid that if I breathed, I would I would just be sobbing so much. Oh, wow. And and just go that my my gasps for air and my sobs would be so loud that it would be awful in the, and I would disturb everybody in the theater. And it was so uncomfortable trying to hold in that feeling. Yeah. To your point about when we do that, what it does is it causes other things. And when I'm doing medical healings and energy healings and medical intuition, working with clients, which I do every day. It's There's always an emotional event that causes an energy block, which in turn causes an energy leak in the energy field membrane. And so I go into that block uh, and I go through this hole or this tear that I see in their energy field membrane. And I'm always shown a scene, either from this lifetime or a past lifetime. And sometimes they remember it and sometimes they don't. So when we come back, I want to continue along those lines about uh, what we were talking about with honor those in pain. And I want to get into, I've heard you talk about the gift of failure. So I want to cover that. Everybody stay with us. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. And we're talking with Coot Blackson today. And before the break, I said, I've heard you say that you talk about the gift of failure. And I think we're all brought up to think that we have to succeed in everything. I was talking to a, a teacher yesterday who's a client, and she said that she sees in the classroom these participation trophies that children are given just for participating sometimes can come back and bite them in the rear end as they grow because they think that, you know, they don't really need to compete. And she said, that's just not real world. So please talk to us about your theories about what, how failure can be a gift to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually don't even know if I believe in failure as a defined word. I just think life gives us feedback and, you know, Feedback is an opportunity for us to course correct our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our way of being in some way, our belief system, so that we can bring ourselves more into alignment. And so uh, when when things don't work out, let's put it that way, that way uh, we sometimes call it failure. But I and when things work out the way we want, we sometimes call that success. But uh, I would say let's even redefine success. To me, real success is the degree to which we grow 
and we evolve and the degree to which we learn the lessons in any given situation and relationship for why we attracted that situation in the first place. And to me, failure is really, even if we achieve the goal, the thing that we set out to achieve, but if we don't grow and if we don't evolve and if we don't learn the karmic lessons for why we attracted that situation, I don't know if that's a true authentic success on some level, because I know people that have stayed in a relationship for 60 years. They're miserable. They're unhappy. They hate each other. They really should have left. Their agreement is done, you know, whatever. And they're still staying. The only reason they're staying is because out of fear. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that's a success either. Perhaps they've, they're succeeding in their failure. And so I think we need to redefine success and failure in a certain sense. And so, you know, even if a relationship ends, many times we view that as a failure, but I think if two people come together and they fulfill their karmic agreement from past life or this life, they learn the lessons that they needed to learn, they grow and evolve in the ways that they needed. And now perhaps that classroom is karmically complete and they decide to part ways and graduate in a different direction and restructure their relationship. That's, I don't see that as a failure. And so I think we need to redefine our definition of success and failure from a very one-dimensional uh, goal-line-oriented view to a soul-line-oriented view. There's the goal-line of what's happening, but there's the soul-line of what's happening. And just because someone is achieving on the goal-line, but if you're not going on the soul-line, I don't know if that's failure. I think, yes, there is a level of success on the goal-line, but real success to me is on the soul line because at the end of one's life, you can't, no car, no house, no fame, no nothing. You can't take anything with you other than the evolution of your consciousness. That's what I would say there. And I know that you work with people who are very wealthy and people who are celebrities or uh, are really doing things that are <clears throat> in the news. We would know them, they're public sure, figures. Sure. And and I do as well in some instances. And what I find is sometimes those people are the most miserable, believe yes, it or not. Yes. And it's our perception of their life because we're brought up that, oh, this is what you need to be in a big house and you need to drive this kind of car and you need to have this much money in the bank and all of that. And so how do you get somebody who's been brought up like that and they've achieved all of that, but they're still miserable? How do you get them reprogrammed almost? How do you get them off of that uh, um, goal, 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 goal? I love the goal versus the soul plan, yeah. the goal plan versus I mean, the I, 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 I never try to tell people what to do or get people off of anything. I just try to help people get in touch with the truth and to acknowledge the truth of what they feel. That's why I think acknowledging the truth of what they feel is so important and to feel what they feel, to feel if it's working, because I think when people feel start feeling the truth of what they feel and stop running from it and they we really acknowledge the truth of what we're really feeling, from there we can tune into if it's working or not. You know, to me, the question isn't, is it good or bad? It's more about is what I'm doing and is how I'm living and is what I'm pursuing and is the way I have my beliefs and priorities set up, is it actually working? You can't argue with that. I mean, when, when a client is sitting in the room crying, now they have the jet, the house, the everything they thought was going to make them happy and they're miserable. And they really sit with that truth of 
is it working? The honest answer is no. And I think from that honesty is the beginning. The honesty from that place is a beginning to have a conversation about what's true, about what's real, to then start exploring what is it that I really, 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 really want. Because many times what we think we want is not what we really want. It's just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were. And as I, I kind of mentioned earlier, many times our goals of what we're trying to achieve that we're seeking to make us happy is really a mirage and a projection that will never be truly fulfilling. Maybe our needs weren't met growing up. Our dad wasn't there. Our mom wasn't there. We were bullied. We were laughed at. So we felt fat, ugly, not enough, not valuable. So somehow we're carrying this insecurity with us. And we now project the goal into a future of thinking, Oh, when I become famous, when I make enough money, when I have enough Instagram followers, when I when I make a billion dollars, when I achieve that goal, then I'm going to be enough. And we and, and then you achieve that and you realize it's not. So it's an opportunity to start really questioning what's true, what's real, what do I really want? And I think not getting what you want in many ways is a uh, sometimes not getting what you want is grace. It's a gift of it's a gift that if you're willing to use it can start leading you to a deeper exploration of what's authentic. So there's a few reasons that we sometimes don't get what we want. Number one, what you thought you wanted or the goal that you set out to get or achieve is not the most authentic expression of your soul. It's just more coming from your ego. And so not getting it becomes an opportunity for the universe to kind of course correct you and not achieving that goal we'll say failing at it, gives you the opportunity to dig deeper into your soul and really connect and feel what's true, what's authentic, what's really aligned, you know? So that's the opportunity. What's what's really aligned? The other thing, the other reason that... Okay, we're going to need to take a quick break again. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan Show, so stay with us. When we come back, I want to finish on that thought, and I want to talk about distractions and how distractions can kind of derail us in our lives. So stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Ask Julie Ryan Show, and we have Coop Blackson with us today. And before the break, Coop, we were talking about uh, how to find your way out of when you're kind of in a tailspin and you've, you've even in a lot of instances, I think you certainly experienced this. We're living the life that our parents had designed for us yep. and we've got the money and we've got the house. And like you said, all of the toys, but we're not happy. So expand what you were talking about with that. And then I want to talk to you about how in this day and age, we have so many distractions in our lives that really can take up a lot of mind space. And how do we not necessarily get out of that, but how do we dampen all the noise that's around us so that we can hear what our spirit is trying to tell us? Okay. So in terms of what we were saying, you know, in terms of why things maybe sometimes don't manifest is what we want is not truly authentic, an authentic expression of our soul. And so we hit a roadblock. And so, so then there's an opportunity for us to go deeper and question ourselves, like what's true, what's real? What would I do if I really didn't need to do 
what I thought I needed to do. What would I say? Where would I go? What would I really create if I wasn't living someone else's version? That's that's number one. Number two, I think sometimes why why things sometimes don't manifest is just is also not timing yet. It's not the right timing. The consciousness of the collective isn't right, and so that's when we have to step back, learn to be patient, and trust the divine timing and the divine flow of the seasons and nature and life, and work with the divine timing of life. Another reason why sometimes things tend not to work out, we, in quotation marks, fail at our task or goal, is there's still certain lessons that we haven't fully learned where we currently are right now with the people, in the relationships, in the job, in the situation. And so as a result, we we keep ourselves stuck because all lessons tend to be repeated until learned. So we keep ourselves stuck in our current level because we haven't learned the lesson for why we attracted this situation. We haven't learned the lesson for why we attracted this person. And so because of that, we're not able to transcend and graduate to the next level of experience to fulfill the goal, dream, or vision because we're not a vibrational match. We haven't become the person yet. And so I think what we try and do in many of those instances is we, we many times we try to force ourselves to push through and break through and motivate ourselves through. But I think if we step back and go, huh, what, what is it still that I need to learn? What is it that I'm not seeing? What is it that I need to evolve? What is it that I need to deal with? What do I need to release, let go of, clear? What is the lesson that I still need to learn in this situation? Because I think when we learn the lesson, that's what unlocks the, the, the lock. That's the key to the lock to the next level of manifestation in our lives. That's, that's, that's something that I've seen. Sometimes when things don't work as in failure or don't seem to flow, <clears throat> it can be an opportunity, I think, to sometimes also test our commitment and our patience, uh, I've seen as well. Uh, and so we have to discern that if we really feel that our goal, our desire is authentic, is true, it's arising from our soul, then that would be the time to actually use the feedback <clears throat> to shift our strategy, to shift our marketing, to shift uh, the, the, the plan of how we're going about it, and to then recommit and keep moving forward. Uh, you talked about distractions. I think we live in a world where we are so distracted. There's so many distractions in terms of social media, uh, television, options, shopping, choices, that, uh, and I think the media also doesn't have an interest <clears throat> in truly empowering you. The media doesn't have an interest in you being fully expressive, fully empowered, and knowing who you really are. Because I think the moment you know who you really are is the moment you step outside of control, of manipulation, and is the moment you're, you, you're free to truly choose. I think the media, in many ways, has an investment in you being disconnected from who you really are. And we're constantly being brainwashed to believe you're not enough, 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 compare yourself. And, 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 but if you just buy this you know, phone and drink this drink and wear this underwear and do this thing, you're going to be enough. And then we get sold stuff. And so I think we have to take responsibility for our consciousness, for our attention, and for our energy. We have to realize the power that we have in our consciousness and unplug ourselves. And I think one of the ways we do that is to remove all of the unnecessary distractions from our life, which takes focus, which takes a discipline. But I think if we're truly going to be powerful human beings to rise up, 
that's the choice we get to make for our own uh, energetic frequency and vibration. And so I would invite people, like for me, I don't watch the news. For me, I really go on social media unless it's to post something specific. And so I think there's ways that we can control <clears throat> the distractions with intention because energy flows to the point of our attention. And so that's, a, I think, a place where we can start. I find that people are really addicted to their phones and especially kids. They have a, an attention span of a gnat these days and it's because they've been so used yeah. to boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. And I talk to people often who are having trouble sleeping at night and I say, turn off the electrics, electronics two hours before it's bedtime, sure. take a bath, For meditate, sure. read a book, do something along those lines. Because my son, who's now almost 29, he'll be 29 the end of the month. I, I, Learned very early on when he was a toddler. Back then, we were using VCR tapes, and we'd put on a Disney tape for him. And he, I had to limit how much TV he watched because it would affect his behavior. And he was always the, you know, a great, perfect, well-behaved child. But he'd start getting cranky, so I'd limit it to maybe <clears throat> thirty or forty minutes a day because I noticed a difference early on. And now it's just, well, and I think every generation comes in more advanced. These toddlers come in and they know how to use an iPhone and an iPad better than I do. And I think, how's that work? And it's because they, each generation learns from the next, even before they're verbal and they can walk. Yes. Yes. Some of them know how to use that stuff. So what's a, what's a way for people to start unplugging when they find that they, somebody, I saw somebody on a show who said that they looked and most people look at their phone a minimum of 50 to a hundred times a day. No, 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 no. It's more. It's more. Is it? It, it, it? In fact, about eight years ago, it was 150 times a day. If you really look now, it's probably 500 times a day Ugh. because we look at it for anything. We look at it for this. We look at it for that. But, you know, the constant addiction to the phone, where does it take? It takes our attention out here. So our attention gets hijacked out here. And so right. I would invite people, you know, first thing in the morning, don't pick up your phone for, let's say, an hour. Connect with yourself first. Connect with your soul. Connect with your spirit through meditation. Uh, <clears throat> personally, for 15, however many years, I haven't had a t television, you know, and, 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 and I don't really watch television. I haven't had a television. Truly, there's not that much importance. There's not that many important things on television anyway. And so uh, I would say set up your environment to remove the distractions. So if I don't have a TV, then even if I felt like turning on the TV for a moment, I can't turn it on. And the truth is I haven't really missed anything, you know. Um, uh, for instance... I think in many, in many ways, we're constantly checking our phone. We're constantly checking, uh, response, responding to people. I would say really block out time and say, okay, during this time, I'm going to be focusing on this project. And for two hours or whatever that 90 minutes, whatever that time block is, put your phone somewhere else. Don't check it. Many times we're constantly being distracted because the phone's always here and we're constantly checking it. Someone texts you, you're responding to it. Set out the time block for which you're not going to use this and focus. Attention flows to the point. Uh, energy flows to the point of attention. You, on Sundays, for instance, I would invite people, unplug from your phone for a day. Typically, for the most time, 
unless you have young children, no one's going to die. And so on some days I really use this almost, I don't, I try to not use this device on a Sunday and pretty much unplug from it for the most part on a, on a Sunday. And it's so liberating. And so we have to take the responsibility to unplug our consciousness uh, from, from the device. When we eat, I see people when they eat, eating like this by themselves. I see people on dates with this thing. And so I think it's just a consciousness and intention and a discipline to return your energy and your focus and your attention back into your own being, back into your own soul. Because right now our attention is out here rather than in here. And the more we can bring our attention in here and connect even through meditation, I think the more uh, powerful we can become. I thought it was interesting you brought up the media because the media is all about selling ad dollars That's and, it. and it, it just propels fear. So certainly we've lived through this for the past year. It's all about the fears. It's how many clicks can they get? And, and there's going to be an ad for sale, through- you know, an ad for TV, for everything. And it's all about if we can be in fear and we're all hardwired for fear. So it's what I teach is it's, we've mm-hmm. got to be able to discern what's a rational fear, what's really going to kill us and what's an irrational fear, which is 99% of it and be able to say, okay, that's an irrational fear. That's not real, but that's what I, I was marveling that you brought up the media because I say the same thing that they're all about fear because if you're in fear you're going to watch it's all about the number of eyeballs that are watching it if if you're in fear you can be controlled and fear for centuries is a device that has intentionally been used to control people's consciousness if you don't believe in x y god in a certain way, you're going to go to hell forever. If you don't act this way, then you're going to die. And, and so when we are in fear, we stop thinking rationally. And so I think we have to, that's why I say unplug yourself from unnecessary media and technology. Right. I agree. So tell us about that. And that plays into the fear thing that we were yeah. just talking about right before the break. The book is called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. It's been out for a few weeks now. And so... It's an inspirational book. But in terms of fear, you know, I think fear is something that hijacks us in so many ways. Fear is something that is preyed upon our consciousness in so many ways. And so we have to be discerning and we have to be truly aware to take our, to take our power back. And so I think when we, when we truly do, uh, we become powerful. I think when we, <clears throat> one thing that I, that is, uh, important to make peace with is is death i would invite everyone to realize and make peace with this you're going to die you are going to die you me bob marley bruce lee muhammad ali mother Teresa, gandhi sai baba the great gurus mystical enlightened beings the buddha they've all died jesus is that you're gonna die I'm going to die. But in so many ways, we are, we live in such fear. That's where part of it stems from. We live in such fear of death. I'm going to die. Oh my God. Uh, and, and so when you make peace, when you just really take a moment to sit with that fear and to face that fear, to make peace with that fear, to release that fear, 
which comes from really knowing who you are, that you are an infinite being. You are an infinite consciousness. You are an expression of the divine energy of life itself manifesting as, a, as you, as this physical vehicle, but you are not just this physical form. The media conditions us over and over and over again to believe that you're just this body, you're just this body, you're just this body. And that's why we're sold things because we're sold things because we need things for the body. And so the more we condition and identify with ourselves as just this separate egoic identity, the more afraid we become of death because we think that when we die, then we are gone. But the truth is, when we know what we are, not just this physical body, then we truly have a deeper understanding of knowing that when this physical body dies, it's not truly what we are. What we are is beyond birth and beyond death. And, and there's a great power and a great freedom that opens up when you start realizing that you're not just this body. And so we're brainwashed to believe that we're just this limited ego structure, form, person, individual, separate identities. But I think when we start to face our death and ask ourselves, who am I? What am I? What is it that dies? Am I just this physical body? Am I just this form? What is living me? What is breathing me? What is functioning me? And when we start opening up to the reality that I'm more than just this body, then a level of fear begins to melt and drop away. And uh, I think a new level of, I don't want to say fearlessness, but a new level of freedom starts arising uh, beyond the fear. So I think I would just invite everyone to sit with and meditate on your death, feel your death, meditate on your death. The question is not, will we die as a physical body? The question is, how will you live your life while you're here? How will you live your life? Because to me, the quality of a life is not simply how long you live while you're, uh, it's not how long you live, but it's how you live while you're here. And to me, there's no use living a long life in fear. I'd rather live a short life uh, freely, truly, freely, and truly alive. And so those people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't coming home that night to be able to look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I love you. Those people in, you know, Southeast Asian tsunami or an earthquake or, you know, hurricane had no idea that they weren't going to come, come home that night and look at their loved ones and say, forgive me. And so I would just invite everyone to sit with, if there's someone in your life that you need to forgive, forgive them, do it today. If there's someone in your life that you need to say, I love you to say it, do it. And, and, because when death comes and this body transcends and you meet your maker, whatever you believe, the great spirit, light, consciousness, you can't go to God and say, God, can I get a refund on those seven years I wasted Can I get a in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those four years I wasted in that job I hated? Death is a reality for this physical form, but not for your true being and not for your true essence. And so how would you need to live this life so that when death comes, you have no regrets. Then, to me, that's freedom. That's freedom. And so I like to meditate on my death because that reminds me of the fragility, the delicateness, the preciousness of every single moment we have to live. And when we sit with the fact that I'm going to die at some point, this body will die. I am beyond birth and death. But when I really sit with, when you really sit with death, so much of what we worry about and stress about and freak out about and, you know, go live in fear about, so much of that falls away because it doesn't really matter. Because most of the things we are in fear about on our deathbed 
we won't even care about. The only thing that's real on in that moment is did we love, did we live, did we express, were we true? There's only a few things that will really matter. And so I think the, 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 the reminder and the reality of death just puts into perspective what's real in this moment right now. Yeah, well said. I feel like you deserve a hand for that one. That was that was right on point. And I agree with everything that you said. All right. How can people get in touch with you? Thanks. What's yeah, the best way for them to find you? Yeah, a couple of ways. My website is cootblackson.com, www.cootblackson.com. Uh, my book, The Magic of Surrender, available on Amazon and www.themagicofsurrender.com. Uh, one of the favorite events I do is in Bali, 12 days at www.boundlessblissbali.com, also Instagram and Facebook. All right. And we'll put all those links on the sh- in the show notes and Thank we'll you. link on Thank social you. media to all of your links as well. What a delight to a have pleasure. you on. And uh, like I said, everybody, when I met him, we I thought, oh, I need to have this guy on my show because we're talking about the same thing and oh. just maybe some different verbiage, but basically the same thing in the things that we teach. With that, thanks for joining us. I'll Thank be back so next much. week. We'll do a live show and you can call in with your questions and we'll take it from there. And in the meantime, where are you? Where are you located I'm right now? Miami. I'm in Miami right You're now. in Miami. So send in lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama and Miami as well. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great weekend and a good week. Bye now. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.